Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, this is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta, and you are listening to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. Today, I am joined by Kelly Leonard, who is the executive director of learning and applied improvisation at Second City Works. His book, Yes And, was published to critical acclaim by HarperCollins. Kelly has spoken at Aspen Ideas Festival, Microsoft, Twitter, TEDx Broadway, and has guest lectured at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago. He hosts the podcast, Getting to Yes And, for WGN Radio. For over 20 years, he oversaw Second City's live theatrical divisions, working with such talent as Tina Fey, Stephen Colbert, Amy Poehler, Seth Meyers, Keegan-Michael Key, and others. Uh, He and his wife, Anne Libera, were awarded the Creative Voice Award in 2019 by Arts Alliance Illinois. Kelly, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it's a little outside of your wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually terribly curious. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I heard you on this other podcast, and you were talking about this topic of sway. and. And I just loved it so much that I, I reached out immediately. And I was like, I know this isn't usually your thing, but oh my God, you have to come and talk to my people about this because they so need to hear it. So, uh, you know, can you just introduce the topic of sway and what it means and this, this concept that you've come up with? It's not my concept. Uh, I, I, I adopted it and, and brought it into the sort of improv lexicon because I think it fits. Uh, but I was talking to uh, Shelly Archambaugh, who is um, one of the first African-American female tech entrepreneurs, and she had a book coming out. And she doesn't believe in, in work-life balance. She talked about work-life sway. 
And I'm like immediately, and and then I listen to the podcast sway. That's uh, Kara Swisher, and 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 because what we're doing at any given time, um, some of our body is going to be here, some of our body is going to be there. Um, we we can't we we I think because human beings are desperately trying to find the linear patterns that make sense of the world we live in. Uh, they're incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, with these great gradations. Um, and improv actually teaches you to be comfortable uh, with discomfort. Uh, and so work-life sway is really both an acknowledgement um, that you're never going to be in, in all in one place at one time and gives you, I think, permission um, to play in all the spaces. Uh, we talk in improvisation about being fiercely in the moment, uh, which is an excellent, excellent way to live. Um, but the reality, too, is that sometimes you're going to get pulled out of that. And if you see that as a betrayal of something that you live by, that's a mistake, too. So really, I, I think it, it's it's uh, an acknowledgement and a permission. That's fantastic. You gave me so much to unpack. Thank you. <laughs> Because so so something I, I I think I may have mentioned this in my email begging you to come on the show um, was that that Kathy who is one of the regular people who's on the the call with me she went to Second City Improv and she and I together run uh, transformational retreats and we have talked in depth about the concept of how yes and and getting comfortable in discomfort those are key spiritual evolution issues, right? These are things that we deal with all the time, especially in a ritual environment where we may have planned a structure, but whatever the participant brings to the table is what they bring to the table. And we have to be prepared to respond in in whatever way is necessary in the moment. And so, um, you know, she and I ended up having a very deep conversation about improv when I told her you were coming on the show because, uh, I've always thought that I wasn't very good at improv because I was never funny. <laughs> that's not necessary. <laughs> well, and that's what she said. She said, mm -hmm. improv isn't about being funny, you know, but I improv all the time. She's like, oh, you're fantastic at it. And I'm like, uh, but I'm not, but I am situationally funny, but I'm just, it, it was, I was never good at it on stage. There, the, it's interesting. Uh, I just want to jump in with this because uh, one of my very early um, interviews for the podcast was with uh, uh, the Dr. Reverend Samuel Wells, um, uh, who is the vicar of St. Martin uh, uh, in, in London. Um, and he took an improv class when he was at Duke Divinity School and then ended up uh, uh, teaching there. Uh, and he talks all about the sort of reintegration that happens with the improvisation and, and saw it through a, a spiritual lens that I had actually never thought about. And of course, have now studied for, for the last really five, six years. That's been what I've been focusing on is our academic links and the spiritual links and all that stuff. And the thing about yes and is you're never going to hear a very gifted improviser use those words. It really is about a mindset of entering the conversation of like, hey, I'm going to enter curious. I'm going to enter with uh, assuming good intent, assuming uh, that uh, this person has something to offer me, trying to build off what what they make so that both of our fingerprints are on it. Um, and you do that until someone, you know, uh, uh, shows you that they're not a good faith actor. And then you move on. I mean, because that can happen. You know, we don't need to be Pollyannic about this, uh, but it is a great starting point. Uh, for anything um, in terms of the human endeavor. That, that's so funny because I feel like you just described my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So you've been improvising this whole time. You just didn't know. I, 
clearly. So, so, you know, when we talk about sway, right, because one of the things that I'm talking about on the podcast this year is I'm talking about um, becoming a light worker and stepping into your spiritual work, things like that. And, and so I'm trying to talk uh, a little bit more about business these days sometimes. And so as a business owner myself, I find myself in a lot of sway. Like I, I just got back from uh, Costa Rica yesterday and um, I was on a retreat which, you know, for me was supposed to be this sort of vacation while researching thing, right? And uh, and I found myself talking about my business all the time, right? <laughs> because everybody there was going, oh, you're a transformational shaman? Here, talk to me about this. Da, 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 da. And so, so it, it became this sort of, I'm on vacation, I'm not on vacation, I'm on vacation, I'm not on vacation, right? And uh, so, you know, what I leaned into and I, I want to get your sense on this. What I leaned into was this, this, I will talk about it so long as it feels easy because I'm on vacation. Right. I, I think, you know, um, the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, um, we've had to explore our boundaries. Um, and, and, and me as a middle-aged straight white man of tremendous privilege, uh, need to understand that when I walk into a room, my boundaries are immediately different than someone else's. The, the, the balance is, is not necessarily there. Um, and so for all of us, um, uh, it's, it means something different. Uh, and so, so for me, it might mean, Hey, be quiet for a while. Let everyone else talk. It might mean, um, lean forward. Uh, it might be prompting other people in the room to share something that they might not share. Um, and, and that's important. And for someone else, it might be, I got to protect my time. You know, that my, my, my I, I've been giving too, too much of my time. And so I think when you, when you talk about sway and then you look at it through this improv lens, uh, it's really about, um, how do I become more agile and resilient? And I think the problem in the past is people either assumed you were a resilient and agile person or, or you weren't when in fact you can practice the skills of agility and resilience. Um, can I share an exercise that, that does this? Please, please. This is something that I, I talk to my students about all the time. So I'd love to have something new. Yeah. So uh, this is an exercise that, that uh, we've used a lot in the virtual spaces because it works uh, perfectly. It's an exercise called point and untell. And we, there's, it's very simple. We flash up an image of something. It could be an object, it could be a person. And everyone um, has to shout out what that object isn't. That's, that's the rule. Very simple. You just have to shout what that object isn't. So if an apple comes up, you say wheelbarrow or whatever. And we do this with like 15 images. And what you, it's hard. And it's hard for people because they're not naturally divergent thinkers. And divergent thinking is key. Uh, as an underpinning to agility and, and then, and then resiliency as well. Um, but that, so that, so this is, and then when you practice it over and over again, you get better at it. You're like, Oh, okay. I, I, I'm teaching my mind. And this is, if you want to tie it to the science, it's really about what Danny Kahneman talks about when he talks about system one and system two thinking that we've got a fast brain and a slow brain. And improv is about going in between those all the time in between those. And so people marvel at the wit of these improvisers and like this feels like magic and it's like it's not magic it's practice they have just practiced this over and over again um so they they can be sort of empty uh and full uh and 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 go back and forth in that and and these are just 
evolutionarily speaking, the, the, the what our mind is telling us is is we're still running from tigers, right? So so we're we're sensing danger and and people look different than us, and so we have to find ways to to retrain our bodies and our minds um, for the modern world, um, and this is going to haunt us for decades. I mean, the, the, from what I understand with the science, it's like we're maybe a couple hundred years away from <laughs> catching up with uh, h- how we started in this world. Yeah. So can you say a little bit more about that fast mind and slow mind? Because I am I can hear my listeners going, what's that? Yeah. So uh, Danny Kahneman, Nobel Prize winner, um, uh, and, and uh, uh, Tversky was his partner, pa- passed away, also won the Nobel Prize. Um, they came up with this idea. Uh, uh, and really, they're, they're sort of the fathers of modern behavioral science uh, that uh, our brains um, have uh, what they've termed system one, system two. So one is the fast brain, which is like, we, we just look at someone, we kind of, we sense we know they're a boy, or we know that they're a, a male man or whatever, and we don't have to think about it. It's just automatic. Um, but then we have the other part of the brain, which is slower and more deliberate. Um, uh, some people call it the jury. Um, my, my friend Zoe Chance at Yale has just written a book about this, and, and that's one of the terms uh, she has used. Uh, and, and, and that brain takes its time to kind of figure out, well, what's really going on here? And we're always operating with both. Both are flawed. Um, uh, especially because we, we mostly use system one, I think it's something like 90% of the time. Uh, but the reality is like, and you've, you've caught yourself and this is actually laughter emanates from this is like, you caught your, I certainly caught myself being like that woman is hot on the bike and it turns out it's a guy. And as a heterosexual male, I'm like, Oh, all right. It's <laughs> surprised. Um, and it's funny and it's funny because it's a surprise and, and humor itself contains a lot of those, those elements. Um, that happens way more than we know because the person doesn't turn around. And I'm, and I'm just using that metaphorically. Um, and then, and then the jury part of the brain, the system two, that, that is flawed too. And they've got studies on this, which is like with judges that their sentencing is much harsher right before lunch, that their sentencing is harsher when their college football team lost. And, and this might sound nuts, but it's not. It's, it's like the, the, the weather affects, you know, this, the weather affects your mood. Like when it's like, I mean, I'm in Chicago. I live in Chicago. It's like these months in January and February are just like brutal. And so I try to find as many ways to shine light. So I've got a salt lamp here and another kind of thing there. And, you know, so, so all of this, uh, when we understand it, um, is why we have various biases in many ways and why we also have what, what Kahneman, his latest book calls noise, which is, which is, uh, misunderstandings, miscalculations having nothing to do with bias but having to do with a lot of noise. Um, so when you understand these things, uh, the way to kind of work on them is these kind of improv exercises that, that I talk about, um, which is building up muscles of better listening, uh, uh, better curiosity, divergent thinking. Um, one of my favorite things, like when lockdown happened, um, one of the very first, uh, a friend of mine who used to be at Yale exec ed was now at a major soft drink company. And she's like, I, can you deliver, uh, a virtual workshop around resiliency, you know, m- my ever we're in trouble. Um, and I went to my wife, I'm like, who's the, a longtime uh, educator and director at Second City. I'm like, do you have anything? And she's like, I actually do. I just created this exercise called Wish. And, and we used it with them. And we said, okay, take a piece of paper and write down three columns. First column, write down something you wish you could do right now that you can't. So I wrote like swimming in the salt water. In the second column, write down the emotion you think you'd feel. I wrote down refreshed. 
And then in the final column, write down something you can do to experience that emotion right now. And I'm like, oh, splash water on my face, go for a walk, work out. And the idea is like, we might not have any control over the events at hand. The thing we do have agency over and control is our attitude towards those things. And, 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 and they need, and, and it, they, they, the only way that works really, cause it, it is practice. Uh, and, and that's the missing link probably in all of this stuff when people, Victor Frankel talked about this in Man's Search for Meaning, right? Um, who went through the Holocaust, an incredible book, really important. That's something I still go back to. Um, but, but just saying it, uh, is not enough. You need to practice it. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of those things that I've been talking about for the last two years on this podcast is this idea that we are in this collective trauma of the pandemic where, you know, we're constantly being traumatized by some new thing. And yet at the same time, it we're, we're, we're gaslighting ourselves that we're not being traumatized because we're looking at our, our surroundings and going, well, I'm just sitting in my house. How traumatizing can that be? Right. And and it's the, you know, the people that I'm talking to, the, the, my listeners are already coming from those environments most of the time, right? Where, where we've had trauma and we may have been gaslit already. And so to, you know, you're just cascading one thing on top of another. And so, you know, it's, it's been about how do you take, uh, volition back, right? How do you, how do you claim your life when your life is being externally limited, right? A little over two years ago, we lost our 17-year-old daughter, Nora, to cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, thank you. Uh, and having gone through, she got diagnosed. It was about a year um, and passed away just after her birthday, about a week after. Um, and one of the things that and, – and Anne and I had created prior to this a whole program around improvisation for caregiving. Um, that we worked on with the Cleveland Clinic and, and others. So we, we came into this with, with this sort of skill set that we used. But then we hadn't done anything around grief and trauma. Um, I, I mean, I, so, uh, thank God my friend Rachel sent me Bessel van der Kork's book um, uh, around trauma, living in the body. And he has a whole section on improv at the end. And I was just like, and, and, and between therapy and, and, and working out and reading and, and then most importantly, so when, when Nora was sick, we started a caring bridge page where we would do updates. Um, we did that all the way along and we got tremendous support. Of course, Ann and I have worked at Second City, both of us over 30 years and lot, worked a lot of famous people who were always sending videos and support. It was great. But then afterwards, I decided to keep writing. Um, and at first I wrote every single day and I held nothing back. Um, and the amount of people who kept showing up for me and then would show and say, look, I don't want to compare trauma points. I'm like, tell me we're, we're all walking around with a lot. Um, and you know, it, it's like, and, and we don't talk about it and we do that at our peril. Um, and this idea around, um, what I discovered, uh, in the grief journey, which my, the biggest enemy would be isolation. Um, and, and, and the problem with, with, so I didn't have this problem because Second City, I could walk into anyone's office and just start crying and they'd be there for me. It, it, for a comedy theater, we are very dramatic. Um, but, but that was great. But most workplaces aren't like that. And, and, and we need to change that conversation. Um, because these things are really hard. So to your point about like when, when, you know, the pandemic started and all this other stuff, people would reach out and be like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I've already been through the worst. I've been through the worst. I am still here. I'm broken, 
but but I'm still here. Um, it shouldn't take a tragedy, uh, especially something like losing a child. Um, but uh, for those of us that have been through that particular or things like that, um, to not draw some sense of meaning and purpose um, is to uh, is to I think misunderstand the larger forces at work because human beings die. We're going to die. Our parents die. It's, it's, it's something that happens and it's not fair. Um, and it sucks. Uh, but it's, it happens. So I think just generally speaking, um, allowing, allowing your pain and your suffering to be there, but not be everything. It's about not investing in the pain, right? We, we can have it, but we, I, I call it the misery box, right? It's like, well, you can, you can have your misery box or you can live in your misery box, but I don't recommend yeah, the misery box is there. You can't get rid of it. Right. It's there, but, but you don't have to live in it. You don't have to invest in it. Right. My, my therapist and I like stumbled upon that concept in, in a session where we were talking about like, Okay, you have the okay, you have the not okay, you have the happy. I mean, I've had happy moments at concerts and comedy shows and with friends and um and and all those rooms are there. Uh and and this is it's so funny and cuz I do a lot of obviously I do a lot of work in in business. And I was talking to Dan Pink recently about how often like Buddha comes up uh, or, or Buddhism in, in these conversations. He's like, yeah, Buddha and Peter Drucker come up all the time. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, a Viennese psychologist and, and Buddha. Um, but, but I think for, for, for valid reasons, which is the, the, the Buddhists always looked at suffering as something that is about the human condition and the duality, the idea that the, these, bo- these multiple things are all happening at the same time. Um, I think it's just, I think it's hard for most humans. I think it's particularly hard for Americans. Yes, Americans, we have it. I mean, we're we're taught that it's we we have to be productive, we have to be moving forward. You know, there's no room for for anything. In fact, no crying I, in baseball. Oh, there's no crying in baseball. Yeah, and there's so there was this uh, there was this series of of retreats that I went to these these workshops that I went to. Uh, that shall remain nameless to you know, protect the guilty. But the uh, the upshot was that they uh, they did this process that was very shamanic in nature. But they would go drive, 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 breakthrough, drive, 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 breakthrough, drive, drive. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm exhausted. I just want to fall down. And it's like, where's the integration? This is all the masculine side. Where's the feminine side? Where's the flow? Where's the integration? Where's the downtime and the stillness? Where is that? And it's like, no, this is the this is the American ver- version of spirituality. I'm like, but it's going to make you fall down, go boom. And it's also yeah. not, it's not, uh, it's not tied to the science. I mean, the, 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 the like you mentioned flow, um, you know, uh, my wife and I were lucky enough to speak at a uh, event where um, uh, the flow guy, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, uh, <laughs> uh, was on before us. Uh, uh, Mayhai. Okay. So it's like that. Uh, but but his work is is amazing and and it and Adam Grant talks about this too the Wharton professor which is like you need boredom uh, you need time of play um, you, you need stillness all these these variety of condi- and and here's the ironic thing about all this which is all these business people 
especially the men, you know, they love sports. They understand this completely in sports, the need to rest and then, and then work and the, and the repetition and the practice and all that. And, and, and that's all about peak performance. And if they go back to their offices and they think they just yell people into like, you know, doing good. It's like, no, this like in music and any, and, and crafts, like anyone who is like really good at their work in these other domains uh, is usually working by the scientific method, except for where everyone's making money in America <laughs> in, in the business context. Yeah. Well, and you know, they've, they've done studies on that too. I mean, they, they've done experiments in Europe on, you know, let's shorten the workday, right? And people get more productive. Go figure. Well, yeah, and Microsoft in in uh, Asia did that with the with the four day work week, and overwhelmingly it was more productive. And they just went right back to the five day. So it's not it's not just us. It, it's it's and this is the thing. I, I'm 55. I feel like the last five years or so, just the blinders have been ripped off. Where I'm like, oh, we structure our schools terribly. Like this, that's not based on the science. Our healthcare system is. Terrible, and 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 the sort of systemic racism that that I certainly was was party to um, is is abhorrent, and 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 the penal system, the way we throw more people in prison in this country. So go down this list, and and you've got to realize like we're doing it wrong, and and I get that not one of us um, can uh, change it, but all of us can. And, and in improv, in improv, we say, you know, all of us are better than one of us. Um, and the whole idea is about these ensembles. Uh, this was the idea I was kicking around for a while with some folks and, and I got to p- repick it up, which is you're not going to solve anything one person at a time and you're not going to move entire tribes. But I bet we could move teams. I bet we could go to work teams of 10, 12 people and train them up and have them shift into this more productive better mindset. And if we just keep going block by block, team by team, maybe that's the way we do it. You know, it's interesting because one of the things the pandemic has done for me is that uh, I've binged a lot of old television shows. And so I, I've been watching a lot of the shows from the 90s again. And I'm realizing how much we have moved in that 30 years. I mean, just stunning amounts uh, so much more than the previous 30 years, right? Yeah, uh, my comedy professor wife has to do a lot of trigger warnings before episodes. Like she's like, when she does like, so old TV, like the honeymooners, like he's not going to hit her. <laughs> so let's start there with that. But then, yeah, I mean, even my, my friend Tina Fey in 30 Rock, there's episodes she's asked to pull uh, because they just weren't. And and we got to also let ourselves off the hook. Um, we Seeing... Um, uh, our 1990 or 95 selves with our 2022 eyes is not fair to anyone. Um, and, and people should be allowed to evolve. And I'm just taking it as a sign that it is changing, that it is moving, right? I mean, it's moving at mock speed compared to previous shifts, right? And so I'm, I take that as very encouraging. It also, you know, is a statement of how much uh, culture is breaking down right now because culture can't change this quickly unless it is falling apart because that's the nature of culture, right? So I, I was listening, I was listening to an Ezra Klein podcast with um, Noam Chomsky and Chomsky for as 
woke as he is using that term does not believe in uh this sort of immediate social change he doesn't believe that it can happen he, he and he sort of cited the gay, the gay marriage thing of like it just took time and you know and then it changed um but if you had tried to force it um and people did it was never going to work um i i don't know if i agree it's not my area of expertise um i certainly believe that things need to change but i also live in a world where I see how it operates. Um, and, you know, like trying to fix the militarized police state is a problem. Trying to fix the penal system is a problem. we got the problem with the schools. We've got problems with healthcare. I mean, just keep adding to that list. We haven't even mentioned climate change. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, there's so much. And you know, being that my life has been spent studying change and how people change, um, I have to admit that I'm I'm on Gnome's side because, uh, you know, it doesn't happen quickly and people don't change if they don't want to. Right. And so uh, the challenge then becomes, you know, how do you set up systems? Because people will change when forced, but they're going to be cranky about it and they're going to resist it and they're going to do it, but they will eventually do it like like desegregation. Right. It didn't change any mindsets. But it did change the culture and slowly, very slowly, very slowly, very slowly, the culture has shifted. Um, but because it was forced, it I think it took longer, right? I think it's more propaganda that needs to be done. And, and I use that term in a positive way, not, not a negative way, because we've got so much propaganda that nobody even knows what's true anymore, which is part of the problem now. I think, I think also because of social media and because we've become more national and global in terms of our scope and what we're looking at, we forget that the work we need to do is probably on our block. Um, I mean, so it's all the school board stuff, which is like, you know, like, it, yeah, if, if you want to uh, look what's happening, I mean, this is why book burnings are happening, you know, like get on the, the school board. Um, because I think more people, I have found more human beings are generally reasonable than the opposite. Yes, I would agree with that. The the thing that's happening right now, though, is that so many people are traumatized and they're so empty and they're so burned out that their their ability to be reasonable has been exhausted. And I think that's what's happening because of the pandemic, because of all of this stuff that's going on. And that's been the big problem. You know, I mean, I was, I sat on the airplane yesterday and had a conversation with the guy next to me and he was talking about how he was frustrated with the medical establishment and how they don't look up alternative stuff and they don't look into stuff that happens overseas and whatever. And the woman in front of us got up at one point in the, in the conversation, turned around and said, my husband is a doctor and you are just saying terrible things about doctors and he works very hard. And she, she just like read, read us the riot act. And, and we weren't talking about her husband. We were just talking about the state of the medical industry and about our personal experiences with medical professionals that, that we had experienced. And I pointed that out to her. I said, you know, we don't know your husband. We're not talking about your husband. And, and this isn't part of it. But she was just, she, I could see that she was so empty and she was so overdone and she just had nothing left. And anything that could potentially trigger her had just triggered her and she turned into a Karen. And, and I'm like, you know, I could see the being inside and I'm like, you, you don't want to be a Karen, but you're being a Karen, right? Right, right, right. right. Then, well, this is, this is the, this is the, 
so so one of the exercises that um, we created uh, uh, with the Second Science Project, which is a project that my wife and I co- co-led at the University of Chicago, working with behavioral scientists, they, we had done the yes and exercise for them. It's one of the exercises we bring into tons of businesses. And they're like, we totally get that. There's actually existing research to support that. But what happens when you have a disagreement with someone uh, that you fundamentally, you know, disagree, but you need to stay inside the conversation? What what do you do then? And we didn't know and they didn't know. And so we went back to our respective laboratories. Uh, and when we came together, we actually uh, discovered and there's a paper coming out next year about this. Um, and, and what we discovered is that um, uh, the term we use is thank you because. So if you need to stay inside this conversation and you don't agree. Um, and the example I use on this is a real one, which was um, uh, uh, Nora, which got sick, she, one of her dear friends, their parents are anti-vax. So this is well before, you know, we were having this conversation uh, nationally and internationally. Um, and um, we wanted the girls to be able to have a relationship, but, you know, we couldn't allow them to be in the same room together. And so in talking to the parents, um, I used this and I said, Thank you. Uh, and th- what that does first is set off the gratitude part of the brain. So immediately they're not going to be on the def- defensive. Then the because is crucial. I need to find something I agreed with. And usually it's values. And so what I said is thank you um, because you care so much for your daughter's health. You don't want her getting sick from these vaccines. I care so much for my daughter's health. I don't want her to get sick from not having vaccines. We want the same thing. We're like totally aligned on the same thing. We just have different ways of getting there. And that provided a way for us to work through this thing. Um, and I bring this up on many, many shows that I'm on. Uh, and, and everyone sort of points to like, well, wow. Yeah. I mean, the world we live in right now, no one is willing to do that work. And, and what I would suggest is you don't need to be giving up on the systemic changes that you think are right. You don't need to be giving up on, on your values to try to see another person as human uh, and to try to see the other person as potentially having some valid concerns, whatever they are. I'm, I'm a liberal. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not pro life, uh, but the argument could be made that I'm a baby killer, <laughs> right? I mean, that's like, I can actually understand the logic of that argument. When I, when I look at it, I'm like, Oh, I get that. Well, that's what it's right. That like, so, so, you know, just, trying to both show someone you understand where they're coming from, but also be able to, inter- to interrogate your own positions and see how they might be perceived uh, as problematic. This is the work that I think we need to do for this human endeavor to flourish, which is what I think we all want. Here's what I know. If we don't do that work, the other side is we're done because we don't do this alone. And one of the things that I have found, because I've had these conversations too, where I'm talking to somebody who has completely diametrically opposed, you know, opinions and, and it's somebody I respect and I love. And I'm like, you know, and periodically we sit down and we talk politics because I'm like, all right, I need to understand how you believe the way you believe because you seem to me to be a reasonable person. And this seems to me to be an unreasonable approach. And so clearly there's some reason on your side that I'm missing. And so please educate me so that I can understand where your reasoning is from, because you are a reasonable person. And so we have this conversation and we each say the same thing to the other. And then, you know, we each get to the point where um, we, we will talk for long enough where, uh, you know, my marker for me is when I feel like I need to convince her of something 
then I stop the conversation because I have stopped being curious and I have gone into manipulation, right? And so, yeah. And so it's, it's about, okay, I, if I need to, if I'm trying to convince you I'm right, then I'm no longer relating. So I need to stop and I need to back up and I need to go back into my curiosity, right? Because that, that doesn't work. There's been studies about this, which is, you know, to truly get someone to shift um, takes a lot of work, but normally it's about asking question after question for them to justify their position until they, they're backed into a corner where they themselves realize that they, they, they can't actually rationalize uh, the root uh, of that. But it takes step after step after step for someone to get there. So it's like, tell me more about this because this, this is what I'm, 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 I'm hearing and here's what I'm not seeing. Uh, but talk to me more about this. I'm really curious about what you know. And and people like human beings want to be seen. So it, that that doesn't need to be uh, an unpleasant activity. Well, and it's not really designed to necessarily change her mind because she's entitled to her opinion, right? I'm just trying to understand. I'm like, what are you hearing that I'm not hearing? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Maybe you can change my mind. It could happen, you know. But I, it's when. There's so much angst and acrimony in the entire process right now that it's hard not to get that tapped into it when you're having the conversation because it's just endemic in the world, right? The, the academic Jonathan Haidt has a bunch of, this is his work, and, and he really roots it down to the, these mindsets where, you know, one side um, is, is really just so concerned with security. Um, and, and another side is so concerned with fairness. And if that is your root place, you're going to have really vicious disagreements over things, uh, because those two, two things do not go together. And, and Kathy and I've had long conversation on fairness because we both came up out of the fairness concept and we spent our entire lives with our parents going, life isn't fair. You know, it was like beat into us and we were like, but it should be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and generationally speaking, you know, the young people I work with, uh, you know, are steadfast in that, in that, well, no. And, And this is this thing that we're calling the great resignation, which is in fact, actually a meaning crisis, I think, um, uh, is, is part of what they're wrestling with because they're, and, and it's valid. It's completely valid for all the things we've talked about today. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's this desire for people to find their purpose. And I'm, I always talk about that. I'm like, people keep going looking for their purpose. And I'm like, look, your purpose isn't outside of you. Your purpose is the fullest expression of your authentic self. And so if you could just strip away all of the crap, then you, you are on purpose. Yeah. You're and and this is about, I, I think a lot of ways you can find your purpose is when you uh, are crafting your story. Um, so, so my wife runs the first ever BA in comedy writing and performance at Columbia college. So she's a comedy professor. And she often talks about the difference between improv and stand up is an improv where perspective taking, we're asking the audience for what's on their mind. And then we're playing with that and reflecting it back to them. One of the key things that stand up comics do is they do perspective giving in the first five minutes. They have to teach the audience uh, about who they are. And often that story uh, starts with some negative flaw of theirs. So think about your favorite comedian, like Pat Oswald's mine. And it's like, Oh, his whole career started with that. He's this flubby chubby, you know, guy, um, Amy Schumer, uh, you know, Robin Williams, Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. It's that, it's that thing. So, and, and, and they craft the story about themselves, but I think great CEOs do this as well, which is 
part of what I'm going to, I'm going to share a, a, a difficulty in my journey. Um, uh, cause then you're going to see that I'm here as a leader cause I got through it and I can lead you through your difficult journey. Um, and so as we're actually developing a class at, um, Northwestern, uh, at the Farley School of Entrepreneurship, uh, with Sunil Gupta, uh, uh, based on his book, Backable. And he's, that's the, he has these rich stories that he sort of discovered when he at first was not backable. He wasn't getting, raising funds and not doing well. And then he decided to like, no, I'm going to tell stories about my, my mom, uh, who had this really difficult journey, but actually came out on top. And I'm going to talk about my failures. And then I'm going to shift that story to show you what my vision is. And so I think we don't need to look at purposes as magical. I think we need to look at purposes as the definitions of our lives that have been meaningful and can be meaningful to others. Something like that. That's fantastic. I love that. And I think we'll use that as our final point for the the conversation. I'll, I'll tell you a little secret, which is that I so loved the way your mind worked when I listened to you on that podcast that I was like, I just have to talk to him. <laughs> so thank you for letting me be part of this conversation. It, it has been a wild ride through a lot of different topics, but you know, it, my, my students, my, my listeners rather um, tell me all the time. They're like, Oh, sometimes I have to listen to your episodes two and three times. Cause there's so much content. And I'm going to be like, yeah, you guys going to have to listen to this one like four or five times to get all the references. Cause that's what they're going to do. They're going to go and look up all the books and they're going to read all the things. So you've just given them a wealth of stuff to, to learn. And, and I will, I will do the same thing. And so thank you for the gift. I appreciate you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank um, you. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. And so uh, your book again is Yes And. Yes And. Lessons from the Second City. And that's uh, available HarperCollins. It's still still in hardcover. And then the Getting the Yes And podcast, which you can either find at WGN Radio in Chicago or on the Second City Works uh, website at secondcity.com. Um, and, and you can follow me on social. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I post all, all stuff there and studies and others kind of weird stuff that I come across because I've got this really cool job that lets me do that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I encourage you guys to go and follow him. Kelly's amazing. If he hasn't proven that to you by now, then you haven't been listening to. So, all right. Thank you so much for being with us, Kelly. I so appreciate you. And that's all we have for this week. Tune in next time when I share another episode on energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Kelly Sparta here with Kelly Leonard, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car, I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since 
you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.